Hi everyone, Raphael Harry here, and you're listening to White Label American, a podcast where we hear stories from an immigrant or two, sometimes more. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of White Label American. Thank you all for joining us today. Thank you to all our supporters. Thank you to everyone who's been with us since we began this journey. And to our new listeners, long-time listeners, we say don't forget to subscribe on www.whitelabelamerican.com. Easily go there and drop your five-star reviews, leave feedback in written form or by voicemail. And if you want to leave donations for us, hey, we accept any amount you want to drop, do that. And uh, we're adding more um, platforms that you can use to drop donations for us. But for now, it's only PayPal that you can use for donations. But we're going to add more platforms as time goes on. And we have new merch available. So um, you can get T-shirts, hoodies, mugs, um, stickers, and a lot more. Um, items over there and you'll be supporting not only myself you'll be supporting um, a veteran owned business um, and, uh, yeah and a minority owned business too so yeah go over there and help the business grow and for today's recommendation I'll be recommending a comic well a bunch of comics from today's guest and he'll be telling you more about it so go to PKMM Entertainment and pick up Core and Law of Resistance. I enjoy both stories and you'll be getting more about both of them when you get to meet today's guest. So without much delay, I dive into today's guest who is an illustrious guest. I'm highly honored to have someone who I've known for a few years. He's a good friend. And someone who I'm very inspired by is a comics um, visual artist. He's great at drawing. He's a writer. He's an educator, into marble carving, sculptor. And I'm told he has some, he's in, also into martial arts. So there's so much that comes from this man. He's worked with Marvel. He's worked with 21st Century Fox. And there's a lot more to him. But, hey, you got to hear from him. Not you don't want to hear from me. You gotta hear from this man himself. So without much being said, I introduce Mr. Ian Dorian. Welcome on the show. How you doing today, sir? Hi. How are you? Thank you for having me here. I really appreciate it. I've been um, listening to your show when uh, often. I follow it regularly, and um, we've known each other for several years. Uh, you're a really wonderful. Um, uh, person, you and your family, fantastic and uh, beautiful family. And uh, you're a very enthusiastic uh, supporter of comics and entertainment. Um, your program reveals a lot of a lot of insights about uh, um, uh, any subject that you address. And uh, to be on the show is really exciting because it's one thing to talk about what one does, but it's another to talk about it with someone that that you admire and I admire you as well. Uh, it's not, um, none of this is done alone. Creators, uh, comic book creators and, and book creators, writers, authors, artists, we tend to get a lot of attention for what we do, but the reality is we all work uh, together. Uh, 
the collectors, the fans, um, even the original art collectors, uh, historians, um, we're all a part of, of, uh, of this process. You know, uh, virtually every creator began as a fan. So um, the keeping it alive as a fan keeps the creators uh, able to put food on their table and continue to make books and stories and inspire other people for the next generation. Well, One of you. the benefits. That, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So thank you. Uh, thank you for the kind words and thank you for also being an inspiration. And so before we dive into your history in um before I go with the regular questions that I ask guests on the, on the podcast, um, I'm going to go a different route today. You are with PKMM Entertainment. Can you please introduce those of us who aren't familiar? You know, I'm familiar with PKMM, but the audience who aren't familiar with that, can you please tell them what's about and what you guys do over there? Oh, sure, absolutely. So I work for PKMM Entertainment. Um, uh, PKMM uh, has a shop online. Um, you can find easily just put PKMM Entertainment or PKMM Shop uh, or EntertainmentShop.com. They'll all come up. Uh, we have two flagship titles, Law of Resistance and Core. Um, the books are, uh, are along with... Uh, a lot of really great creators. PKMM was established when I worked for the Department of Defense um, with Matthew Pilata and uh, his father Pete and several other members like Mark and his. And uh, so that's a family business. It's a contractor, a military contractor. They do not make weapons. They actually um, um, handle defense. Uh, and they uh, mostly... Uh, do things to protect and to help um, keep soldiers and other people alive. So it's a, it was a, it's a really, it's a different approach. Uh, so mo most of the time people think of military contractors, they think of Tony Stark, you know, somebody creating missiles to blow things up. Yeah. But there are a lot of, there are a lot of contractors and you know, as well, you served. So That's true. Uh, there are a lot of contractors that, that provide services for telecommunications, for radar systems and other things for the sake of protecting people. That's right. So um, I like to think of PKMM as, um, as a shield as opposed to a sword. Mm, that's, that's so um, yeah. Go ahead. If, yeah. So, so uh, when working with them, uh, we had been discussing very much. I had worked uh, years before that. I was, at that time, I was working as a professor at several different colleges and universities. I was at the University of the Arts in Philadelphia in the illustration department. I had been a critic over at Parsons School of Design in New York, and uh, I had uh, taught at several colleges. Um, Mostly I taught illustration. I was an instructor at the Joe Kubert School. Um, Mike Chen hired me. Uh, I taught advanced anatomy and uh, uh, mixed media and several other courses. A lot of my students, or at least I can tell you a good handful of them, have been become quite successful in my, from my perspective. 
they've gone on to become animation directors. Um, they've gone on to work uh, with Zemeckis and other uh, directors on major films. And so I'm, I'm very proud of uh, having taught at the Kubert School. Joe and I got along very well, Joe Kubert, Erwin um, Hazen, High Eisman, Andy and Adam Kubert, uh, and there were others, but uh, I can tell you, uh, I would have lunch with Joe every Wednesday. It was really fantastic, spend time in his studio. He would talk to me about my work. Adam Kubert was uh, uh, very open and, and very helpful to me um, mm -hmm. to return to the comics industry and also grow as an illustrator. Um, so uh, uh, at that time, I was also um, at PKMM, working for them under a contract for the Department of Defense. So Matthew, uh, the youngest brother, uh, and I are best friends. We've been best friends for a very, very long time, since the, since the 90s. And um, Matthew is a, a systems integrator, and he does other work for the government, but he is also a, a very passionate um, person uh, regarding the arts. He's oh, yeah. extremely passionate about He's extremely passionate about storytelling. He's extremely passionate about cinema and cinematography in particular and, um, and uh, comic books and animation. He's a, a consumer, but he's also a creator. I mean, he co-created Law of Resistance with myself and Jim Kruger. Jim Kruger, most people know from Earth X and Paradise X uh -huh. um, and many other uh, many, many other stories, uh, you know, that he did with uh, Alex Ross. And uh, collectively, we got together and uh, made uh, um, Law of Resistance. So we decided uh, we wanted to do something. Uh, from what I understand, there were companies that were trying to uh, get funds that would uh, contact them to get funds for, to make their own movies and so forth and intellectual properties. And Matthew and his father came to me and said, um, we would like you to help us create our own intellectual properties as a separate in, uh, entity, separate um, contract, et cetera. And so um, lucky for me on a lot of my downtime and, and, uh, and afterwards uh, from the DOD, I was able to work for PKMM uh, as well, uh, uh, both in-house and then later as a freelancer for the last seven years or so. And we've created lots of uh, IPs. Now, producing it, coming up with an IP, an intellectual property, which is something like uh, Captain America, the X-Men, yep. uh, or... Spider-Man. Uh, exactly. Coming up with something like that, um, really, the characters are interesting, but they're they only become valuable when you put them into the context of experiences that other people can both identify with and, and appreciate. So people love Peter Parker because he's, he's always the underdog. That's he's right. The geeky underdog who just wants to uh, do the right thing. And mm -hmm. deep down, we all feel unappreciated and like we, we want to do the right thing. You know, the difference between Peter Parker and Superman is Superman, as as people came to know him early on, since 38, 
was that Superman did what was always right, knew what was right. So we aspired to be like Superman, but some of the disillusionment for readers was that they could never be Superman because they just couldn't see themselves as always doing the right thing. Peter Parker tries to do the right thing. In the end, he does, but he makes a lot of mistakes along the way. Mm. And that makes him more accessible to the reader. Yeah. Yes, and relatable. And I think that was a culmination of many, of several different minds. Uh, Jack Kirby, Stan Lee, and several others. Now, we can talk forever about the conflict between the two, but uh, that, oh, we, we, we can get on that. We, we'll, sorry to but, cut well, you. P- but, so, PKMN. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, I was going to come back to creating relatable characters, but I didn't want us to go sure. too far into uh, um, sure. into that. But I think we got a fair intro into PKMM and I want to come back to you Ian and I want to begin with who Ian is so uh, you have a fascinating uh, uh, I would say an interesting big origin so we want the origin story of Ian Dorian so yeah we're going yeah we're going to make this an origin story of Ian Dorian and yeah I appreciate it and um, as part of your origin, you, you come from a family that has, uh, 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 there's a lot of diversity of cultures tied to your family and yourself. So can you give us, you know, just a brief insight into the origin of Ian? Sure. I, first of all, thank you very much. Second of all, I have to tell you, I'm a, a big fan of everyone in my mind. And I appreciate that this moment it's focused on me, but everyone has in my mind a fascinating um, uh, history and origin. And I'm, I'm glad to be a part of the, the carbon-based uh, bipedal life forms that we refer to as human beings. Um, <laughs> that being said, um, I, um, yes, it is true. I, am, I do come from an incredibly diverse uh, family. My family is um, uh, 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 a mix of Eurasians, uh, some Europeans, uh, North Africans, uh, South Africans, um, um, uh, collectively within the married in the family and from relatives and so forth. And then nephews and nieces, we have uh, Africans, um, Asians, um, I personally, my genetic background uh, is um, uh, North African, so uh, um, Egyptian, uh, Armenian, uh, uh, from from uh, Western Armenia, uh, uh, as Turks would refer to it as Eastern Turkey. Uh, so uh, my family, my grandmother, my father's parents uh, come from Erzurum, uh, which is a city at the foot of Mount Ararat. Um, my mother's father was half Jewish, uh, Ukrainian, and half Mongolian. Uh, during the Bolshevik movement, a lot of Jews escaped and left uh, and went into China and Mongolia, and then later either remained there or returned back into Russia or what was the Soviet Union and, uh, and also to the Ukraine. Um, my father, his family, uh, my grandparents left due to uh, the, the situation in Turkey in the, during World War I and 
went down into Istanbul and then into southern France, which is Marseille. Yep. And uh, my father was naturalized uh, in Marseille and grew up there. They thought they had escaped uh, problems and turmoil, and then the Nazis came. My father joined the, uh, the French army. Um, the war lasted uh, there, um, uh, ended uh, after my father was in the, did some, uh, some time in service, and then my father uh, came to the United States. Uh, so on my father's side, my brothers and sisters and I, I am the youngest boy. There are six of us, seven actually. Wow. Um, seven because my father remarried and had another child and I consider my some people would refer to her as half sister I just figure if she's any part of my sister she's my sister that's right um, uh, with all love and appreciation for her presence um, uh, you know that uh, so we are the first born generation in America oh. our family is really not uh, Western Europeans, although my father was born in Western Europe and France, he was not a Western European. We are we are Eurasian people, and um, and North African people, and uh, it was uh, subculturally in the home was very different. So outside, I grew up in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Um, I grew up during. Um, the the creation and development of rap in popular culture. Um, uh, I grew up uh, right at the tail end of Vietnam War, and uh, I was uh, I identified as a Jew as a Jewish uh, child, um, but I lived in um, uh, uh, an environment that was uh, mostly not of my complexion or of my. Uh, 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 religious uh, background. So I felt a little different. I felt different during the holidays because most holidays, you know, today we have spring break and, and uh, winter break and all of these other things. But uh, back in those days, it was called Christmas break and Easter break, yeah. which I, I, I would celebrate Hanukkah. And I mean, we did do the, we did the Christian celebrations, but as custom, Okay. you know, mm -hmm. I will say today that uh, my family is very diverse in terms of religious beliefs. There are Muslims in my family, Jews in my family, Christians in my family. Uh, and I would go so far as to say um, um, other, other, other belief systems, you know, but I will say one thing when we get together, we're all kinds of uh colors and faces and complexions and and we have different languages that we all share some of us know more than one language my eldest brother speaks armenian and english i speak spanish and i'm pretty good with italian not so not so bad with german oh, but wow. you know english was my first language yeah um but then we have uh, other family members as well you know uh um and we have some future family members that are uh uh i can see uh, in the generations after mine, I've been lucky enough to be a, a great or I'm not sure if the term is great or grand uncle. So I have no children of my own currently, but I would say that uh, I have a huge, huge family of children that identify me as a parent figure, which I deeply appreciate. I love children very much. Um, 
so uh yeah um this this kind of mixed kid that uh blue eyes but uh, olive skin dark hair uh growing up in what was predominantly um african-american and hispanic subcultural uh, environment um i never uh sometimes i felt different but only when it i was told You see, yeah. one of the benefits that I had was to see everyone as my friend. I, I, I didn't see the difference. You know, the way the, um, and I'll tell you why, because we were incredibly impoverished. I was the poorest of the people I knew. And some people might think that that can't be possible because I happen to have a lighter complexion. But I have to be honest, just being all truly honest, I was the poorest of them. And I grew up on welfare and... Um, uh uh i didn't live in any better conditions i had no father it was just my mother at home yeah. um my my mother was ill from the time i was a, a young boy uh, she was uh i was an orphan by the time i was a young teen um uh, i was a ward of the court belonged to the system uh um luckily i had some family members willing to take me in i i moved uh, to a very small town along the shore to live with uh, my older sister. And if it wasn't for that, and my, my aunt who, who um, was able to help us out and the state and the government, uh, uh, I would have been on the street. Uh, I didn't, uh, I wasn't uh, living in any special kind of situation. And the contrast to that was that because of that situation, I felt uh, like you know, I'm a child. Uh, you know, I, I, I didn't spend a lot of time looking in the mirror. I spent a lot of time looking at my friends and identifying how we associated psychologically and emotionally. Mm. So, um, and our families were very close regardless. Uh, uh, the, the benefit I had was that there were many, many people of many different cultures. I happened to be very close with and inspired by and, and taught by and protected by people in my uh, city and town. Because back in the seven, yeah, back in the seventies, parents didn't get mad if another parent watched out for you. You know, they expected that the parent across the street was would tell you if you were doing something wrong and 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 let them know. You know, there was this uh, idea of uh, where the community could communicate with one another, parents and so forth, about the child. Hey, I saw your kid doing something wrong. I think you should watch him. Hey, you go. Go home. I know your mom. I'm going to tell your mom yeah. what you did. You know, and there was this um, this expectation where you you sort of said yes, sir, yes, ma'am, to people. Um, and you know, while that might seem to some people not acceptable behavior today, I don't know if it is or not. Uh, but at my time, there it was a comfortable. Um, uh, situation because we expected them to do that and they expected to do that for us. It wasn't against us. It was for uh, us. it was community well, looking out for uh, the community. That's, yeah, that's what and, it, it sounded like. And you know, I that's what it was. The only time I would say I was aware of my difference more, uh, you know, because people say, "Well, you're supposed to see color." Um, you know, the context for which people uh, identify that. That language today, the way that people identify that language today, it makes sense for today's sensibilities. And, and it makes perfect sense to me, of course. 
Um, but in that time, there was such a, the, the generation before our generation, there was a strong division of color and, and, and culture. Like my aunt referred to her marriage to my uncle as a mixed marriage because she was a Christian and he was a Jew. Mm. You know, today, most okay. people would not uh, refer yeah. to that as a mixed marriage. So it's, it's important when judging the way the language people use to put it into the context for which it was developed and mm. the time. Because okay. once we translate it to a new context and a new time, it sounds wrong. So it is important that we identify the sensibility and language of the time and then apply that logic to the use of those terms. And then we understand the people better and what their true intentions were. That being said, um, there were times when I did not, when it was made clear to me that I was different, although I never felt that way because we were all living a very similar at the time experience, at least my close friends and I. Yep. Um, and the, when I knew it was different was when um, one time, well, there are several times, many times, actually, you know, I was one of the only lighter skinned kids, even though I'm olive to light skinned people, I'm light to darker skinned people. So if I was, uh, my brother and I were pretty much the, our family was one of the only lighter skinned families. So when someone was very angry and they were angry at lighter skinned people, there wasn't many people to look at or, or to point the finger at, except for our family. So there, uh, to uh, give some insight into that, if you're the only one, you're going to be the one. Mm, okay, I, 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 so I, there, I get it. So there were times when I was subject to aggressive behavior. Uh, it was brief, luckily for me. And my friends uh, um, defended and protected me as well from any any harm, and they loved us very much. And they were we were very lucky to have a very very uh, loving group of people that cared for us and didn't see us as some form of enemy or something based on the complexion of our skin. And and they came to our aid and protection um, because they were they saw beyond that. Um, so we were very lucky in that sense, but there were times when um, uh, I've, I've been um, assaulted or, or, or attacked for um, being different. For being different. And, uh, well, you know, uh, things like you don't belong here. And that, all here? this was during childhood, right? During my childhood, yes, yes. Okay. Um, but so I, have to I, say I don't want to dwell on the negative, but it's still part of your story. But I, because the next question I, I have will step away from the negative, Absolutely. but it's more in the positive that we are going to. Absolutely. Not saying the negative doesn't count because all. I, I, I'm, no, a, I'm a believer of the, that. How we're formed. Yeah, it's all part of how we're formed. Yes, I agree with that. But this is a very important question to me and to my audience. Um, from your childhood, from your childhood, what do you consider your favorite childhood memory? And I believe you've already given an insight into this uh, question, but uh, I just want to hear it from you. You know, um, as you ask me now, and I think about it, um, I have to say I had a lot of really great childhood memories. Um, 
well, uh, I have like, you know, I'm a, I'm a somewhat complex person in that regard, so I don't <laughs> usually answer questions directly. I come up with five different reasons why I like five, ten different things. But uh, probably one of my greatest childhood memories was, um, well, certainly it would have been uh, uh, dancing with my mother was my greatest childhood probably one of my greatest childhood memories. I miss her very much. I have since she's been gone the majority of my life. And, and uh, you know, the love of a mother is just uh, just incomparable. Um, uh, so dancing with my mother, I would say. Uh, discovering uh, comic books was one of my greatest uh, childhood memories. The first time I read a comic book was, I think it was illustrated by George Perez and drawn a cover was by Jack Kirby. It was Avengers. Wow. 1976 i think it was a 1975 or 76 cover i i picked it up at a barber shop because the barber shops in elizabeth new jersey would keep magazines and comic books to keep kids occupied while they were waiting to get their hair cut nervous and maybe even afraid to, to get their hair cut i was a child and, and i remember picking <laughs> up the book being incredibly fascinated by the, the power and the, the amazing images of jack and so forth. Um, um, I have so many great memories. I remember uh, my best friend uh, as a child and still like my brother today, I don't even refer to him as a friend, um, um, Garth Bracey and my twin brother Guy Dorian and myself, the three of us um, would get together on the weekends. Garth and I went to the School for the Gifted and Talented, William F. Halloran in Elizabeth, New Jersey. And my brother ended up attending the school as well. And we were all artists and we were in the art program and we would draw all weekend long. We would go to the, um, the fairs and my aunt would take us and we would, uh, we would uh, collect Bruce Lee magazines and uh, uh, Muhammad Ali uh, uh, images and posters and... Uh, and uh, comic books, we would get comic books. And uh, we would sit down and draw and draw and draw and draw. You know, uh, every character we could, we would make up our own scenarios. Uh, I, was a, <laughs> I was a huge fan of the, the, probably the first comic book that I bought, like not bought for me, that I bought and that I fully read was Power Man and Iron Fist. Wow. Uh, illustrated by Trevor Von Eden. And, um, it was guest starring the X-Men. And that's how I discovered the X-Men. I actually discovered them through Power Man and Iron Fist. And years later, I got to know Trevor. And Trevor and I became good friends. And I, I love Trevor. And uh, he, I remember that he walked up to me at a convention. I was actually a guest in New York City. And uh, this is maybe 16 years ago or something like that. And... Uh, this, uh, this, uh, you know, I'm not big in stature, but uh, this, uh, this uh, uh, man about my size or so comes up to me, caramel, dark, uh, darker complexion, and he says, "Hi, uh, I just want to tell you, I, I heard that you love my work. I really love your work. Your work is beautiful." I said, "Oh, you, you, thank you so much. I appreciate that you like my work. Uh, I'm Ian Doran. What's your name?" And he says, "Trevor Von Eden." <laughs> I, said, I said oh my god my brother and i flipped out trevor this is amazing we love your work you're such an inspiration mm. to us and we started telling him how he was the first book we ever read fully and went mm. through and everything and he says 
You expected a six foot tall white guy, didn't you? <laughs> we just laughed. We said we didn't know what to expect. We didn't even know if we yeah, knew that, how to pronounce that, that, it when we were kids. That's, that story never gets old. I remember you telling me that story yeah. first time we yeah. went. <laughs> Trevor and I became good friends, and Trevor is a very intelligent, mm. very talented man. Uh, one of the most passionate people I've ever met. Oh, that's just beautiful. He did a oh, fabulous he, he, book. By yeah. The way. Oh, sorry. He did a yeah. Uh, go ahead. He did a, a graphic novel series, um, and uh, um, you should really, if you can, uh, check it out. Everyone, the audience. It's called the original Johnson. The original T-O-J. Johnson. Yes, it's about Jack Johnson. Oh. It's why men call their parts a Johnson and so forth. Oh. Jack Johnson, of course, was one of the greatest, if not, no offense to Muhammad Ali or anyone else, um, maybe the greatest fighter that ever lived. Um, he, if you know Jack Johnson's story, he was an individual thinker. He was not afraid to express his thoughts and opinions, but he was attacked uh, socially for um, there was literally no one in the world that could defeat him. And um, uh, some people, especially the uh, um, supremacists of olden days and uh, of his time, I should say, uh, tried very hard to, to, to uh, find people to beat him and they just, they just couldn't. And Jack Johnson isn't just a story about uh, 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 being a great fighter. Uh, what he did for 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 blacks, what he did for all, to inspire all people as Americans, what he did to inspire the idea of your individual power and your in, and trusting in yourself. Um, that was Jack Johnson. So if you get a chance, a, a, a tremendous graphic novel by Trevor Von Eden, the um, original Johnson. The original Johnson. All right, I'll check it out. So when you, you were talking about uh, your first comic that you read, uh, Jack Kirby's Avengers, um, you reminded me of, you, you brought a memory that I'd forgotten about. Even in Nigeria, uh, well, it wasn't in the barbershop, but um, back in my childhood days in the city of Jos, when they used to take me for a haircut, the store right next to the barbershop had comics. And that was the first time uh, I started getting comics. But I wasn't getting comics myself. It was my elder brother because he was 11 years older than I uh, He's 11 years older than myself. So uh, we'll go get haircuts and then he'll go get a comic right after our haircuts. And then um, that was like my introduction to comics. Uh, Yes, fantastic, right? Yeah, so I'd forgotten about that until... (laughs) You, you, oh, yeah, until you mentioned getting uh, seeing comic books in the barber oh, shop. I'm glad that you, <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you identified. You know, uh, if I can put it into context for, for the any audience that's younger than us, TV was black and white with rounded screens and poor reception. <laughs> um, uh, movie theaters were were uh, uh, expensive for us as children. 
Uh, most of the time we couldn't go without an adult or something like that. Mm-hmm. But to put it into context, there was no handheld devices. There were no, no. <laughs> um, there was no, uh, co- uh, and video games uh, were just being created when I was a child. So it was boop, 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 or Pac-Man. Buckle, 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 buckle. <laughs> it was nothing like today. So if you uh, wanted full color entertainment that you could carry in your hand or put in your pocket, the only thing that really existed was comic books. That's true. That, that's, that's true, though. Yeah, I never yeah, thought of you that way. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah. you know, it was the only full color entertainment you can carry open when you want. It was, it was uh, carry with you. You can afford to buy it. Um, when I bought comics, they were around. They were switching from twenty cents to twenty-five cents. Now I think the average price is uh, four ninety-nine. Yeah. So so twenty-five times the price today. So uh, uh, that ha- also has to do with the kind of paper they print on, and, uh, et cetera, et cetera. The the process, the distribution costs, but. So as a child, if you were going to be entertained and take it with you, uh, the, the other thing was uh, maybe football cards and baseball cards, things mm-hmm. like that, yeah. which we would trade. And, and uh, we used to trade comic books, too, a lot of times. Yeah, because yeah. That, that, do you, did you do that, too? My, my elder brother, I was too young to be doing that because I didn't know the value of, uh, well, I, if you give me money, I was only buying candies. But um, my elder brother was a person who started the trading and um because it was still pricey for us in the most part but um when we moved to the next the next when we moved from just to benin city which was in the southern part of nigeria um i the older i got um i think the the, the comic books got more value and uh but my elder brother was at the age where he technically was becoming an adult so the, the family he was on the time he was on the clock where it was like, ah, you, you're old now, so you should be reading books for adults, not children's book, which well, that was what they considered comic books then. So, yeah, they had to get rid of the comic books in the house. But if you had comic books, oh. yeah, and, yeah oh, it, it got it got really bad for some people. There were people who their families literally beat them or were dragged to church to get delivered from the comic books. And, wow. yeah, it got, it got yeah, well, brutal for some well, the but great this thing was, was this was before until spider-man um the toby Maguire spider-man movie will come out and that would change <laughs> a lot of things <laughs> for a lot of people well, i was yeah i was born in 1969 so uh and i was the youngest of a, of a the youngest boy of a big family so i was experiencing like uh the american culture in a different way because of my older brothers and sisters so i was able to really uh, see the the context for which I was living in um, in an interesting way. I, I will say that the most important and most influential um, stories, and this is another thing. One of the first comics I ever read uh, was uh, comics used to come in a pack of three. They started selling them in a pack of three, um, and I was there right on time to to see that. And uh, one of the first books that I ever bought and read was was uh, Howard Chaikin uh, working on Star Wars. So it was the first time I became familiar because I had just seen Star Wars and um, Star Wars blew my mind. 
it blew my mind. I was a little boy. I had to sit on my feet. Like I had to, <laughs> rather than on my butt, so I could sit higher, so I could see the screen. My eldest brother, John, I was visiting him in Maryland uh, with my brother, and um, we were walking past a small theater. Um, it was a more rural area of Maryland that he was living at the time. He was in his late 20s or mid-20s. I was much younger, uh, about 17 years younger, almost 18 years younger. Um, so, yeah, I guess he was around 24. In any event, um, I just, we were walking past this uh, window and there was a poster of this guy holding up this this sword that was looked like it was on fire or something. <laughs> and and I just stopped. And he's walking and, and we're they're all walking and then they turn around and look at me staring up, just staring at this picture and my brother says do you like that and, and i sh looked at him for a second because i didn't want to take my eyes away from the poster and um i shook uh, my eyes were wide and i shook my head without saying a word uh, as to gesture yes and then i look back at the poster and he comes over to me in the gentle gentle voice and he says do you want to see that and i looked at him again with the big eyes and without a word shaking nodding my head yes Yes, enthusiastically with a big smile. And um, so that night we went to see Star Wars. And I remember the first thing I remember is the sound, the note from from uh, from from the music. Oh, just, yeah. Just and John Williams uh, note. Mm -hmm. dun, 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 dun. And I was immediately captivated. I was so captivated. I was so enthralled that everything around me disappeared and I truly became um, absorbed, deeply absorbed into that, that experience, that, that cinema, that theater experience. And for as a child to see such fascinating images and such scary characters i remember when i first saw darth vader i thought dr doom <laughs> you know <laughs> um and and so i i i identified uh with this like so many people did uh even i think most of the hollywood community and even lucas might have even been surprised a bit at the um, certainly the actors were Harrison Ford and I'm extremely surprised at the, the, uh, the fanfare that they got within the first few weeks. But I consider myself incredibly gifted to be born at that time to experience that because that has, that, pro that film propelled my interest for the rest of my life with a deep passion and it still influences uh, my storytelling and the images and subject matter that I deal with. Uh, that coupled with the power and majesty of 2001 Space Odyssey, as I came to it, not through the film, but through Jack Kirby's interpretation, there was a treasury edition as well of the 2000, of uh, 2001 Space Odyssey. Yeah. Uh, this book was the graphic uh, illustration, the way that Jack designed his images really reflected the graphic sensibilities and designs of Kubrick as well. And so I was truly compelled by the, the majesty of it, which brought about in Jack Kirby's mind um, from Kubrick to Kirby uh, machine man. 
and who is still one of my greatest, uh, my, my, my favorite characters, uh, mostly because of uh, the story that um, the uh, four issue miniseries that came later with Barry Windsor Smith, Herb Trimpey, et cetera, um, with Machine Man fighting Iron Man. And the, um, the poignant story and compelling uh, idea of a machine being more or as much or more of a man than, than a living man, an organic man, i.e. Iron Man. So uh, Machine Man defeats Iron Man. And uh, sorry to give it away, but uh, it's been around <laughs> for about 40 some yeah. years. So. But uh, <laughs> he says, uh, how does it feel to know that I'm a better man than you? Um, paraphrasing. But this is now a machine, uh, X-51 uh, machine man. Uh, saying this to a living man, mm. and to me, the the it, there was such a compelling idea, the concept that a machine could a machine be more human than a human. That led to my interest in uh, science and theoretical physics and quantum mechanics, uh, even my work to get into graduate school. Uh, my work to get into graduate school was based on quantum mechanics, artwork, uh, and installation art designed to to um, explore the concepts of quantum mechanics but most of that was inspired by by the movies and by the comic books basically lucas and and, and kirby wow those are, those are two great inspirations so before we continue um well i would like to dive into your um, creative process and and storytelling and your embrace of teaching um we shall take a quick break and when we come back yeah we should go into all those um, aspects of your life so we'll be right back hi everyone we've made it two years and who would have thought so so let's go for that and make it three make it four make it five make it six who knows 20 but we can't do this without your support so join us on patreon at patreon.com slash white label american pod pod or linktree.com slash white label american go there and you will see our patreon link and you can join us for as low as three dollars we have bonus content we have bonus materials there's so much juice over there that we don't release to the public and yeah you can contribute in making this podcast better you can send questions you can send your ideas and also there's a lot of new things that are coming the announcements are made on patreon first because we have to you know take care of people who help make this podcast possible so you can be the one to make this podcast what you want it to be come join us on patreon and make it what you like to see join us make it fantastic keep the five stars coming in keep the love coming in thank you for the privilege of your company so ian for um you went into teaching and then you still um got to work in, with companies like marvel and then you've done stuff like creative directing and so you've worked with um, studios and you've still done sculpting you've worked with marble and so how, how did you decide which part you were going to go on and then go with that part. How, how, how did that work for you? 
Well, that's an interesting question. And, and I, I can tell you part of it was my decision. Part of it was uh, situational and part of it was opportunities. And I would tell you that opportunities only came after I oftentimes um, after I had done a lot to prove myself. Even even today, I, I just want to be clear to everyone. Um, you don't uh, and I'm, I'm going to say it this way, because it, if you're not in the industry and you want to be in the industry, there's a misconception that you break in to the industry and then somehow you've magically you're there all the time. And it's not true. You are constantly breaking into the industry. You're, you are um, establishing and reestablishing yourself every job. So that being said, how did I end up in it? Most of it happens because I went after it. There is no person, um, uh, a person was, uh, and, I, and I wasn't offended by it. a person said to me that I was very lucky that I worked in the comics industry and that I knew the, the individuals that I know. And I, I tried po to politely inform them that it was not luck. It wasn't. None of those people were knocking down my door, calling me up, asking me to get to know them, going out of their way to show me things. They did but only after I made the effort. I made the effort. I went to conventions to meet them. I got to know people that they knew, though, then got to know them. I then proved myself by, by uh, being kind and thankful every moment I had with them, uh, asking advice, going home and following the advice and then returning with work that demonstrated that I listened to their advice which made them feel like their time was not being wasted. And I perpetuated this for years and years. And not only that, but I trained. When other people played video games, I drew. When other people went out to, when I started getting older, when other people were out at the clubs, I was home drawing. When other people were um, um, uh, meeting up with friends, I was, uh, taking classes for writing or, or taking, uh, paying what little money I had with, uh, living on my own since I was 17, uh, working two jobs, honestly, um, uh, just off of welfare by the time I was 18 and living in an apartment, working a night shift and an afternoon and early evening shift and then going to school in the day uh, at college. Uh, so I literally homework, homework, study, draw. Um, my point is, if you want something to come to you, you have to go to it. So that being said, uh, my first opportunities in comic books came from going to the conventions, drawing. And eventually I, I started, I was working on a shipping and receiving dock. And I would make extra money doing portraits and drawings for people of, of their loved ones. That helped me pay for my food. To cut to the chase, I met a man who was a delivery guy, and I did a portrait of his newborn baby for his wife for Valentine's Day. She loved it. She cried. He called me up. He said, hey, uh, I just wanted to let you know uh, my wife loved the drawing that you did for her. And I would do these drawings on my lunch break when I was between moving boxes, you know, and I lived in a tiny apartment. Um, 
Uh, I used to ride a bicycle to work because I it, it didn't matter rain, snow. I would ride my bicycle on the parkway to get to work. I had no choice, no telephone, couldn't afford it. Um, um, but I'm not complaining. It's fine. It helps to build character when one goes through struggles. Yeah. Um, uh, in any case, um, the guy said, uh, I, uh, thank you so much for the wonderful drawing that you did. Uh, do you, or is your plan to be an artist? I said, well, I love comic books. He said, oh, you want to draw comic books? I said, it's been my dream since I was six years old. He said, well, I'm a comic book dealer as well at, when I'm not working my regular shipping and receiving job. The, the man who was delivering the things to the building that I would, oh. I would, um, yeah. Uh-huh. So he, he said, um, I know an artist in, in New York, Mark Basella, and uh, there's another gentleman, Dan Panosian. He said, uh, um, I'll speak with them and see if they're willing to talk to you. Well, within a few months, uh, Mark and I, Mark uh, agreed to speak to me. I called him um, using the phone. And just to be clear, a long distance call at that time was to call out of your town. It was like, if you went three miles, you were calling long distance. And the prices were astronomical. I would get bills for $143 for a month for a phone bill. But you have to understand this was a landline and this is 1980s or, or yeah, the end of the 80s. So that amount of money you should multiply by maybe two or three times more. So hundreds of dollars for this very poor kid who's, who, who, has, who, who lives on his own, pays his own rent, pays his own bills. Uh, it was very, uh, it was expensive, but I did it anyway. I, I, all I did was uh, instead of, um, I didn't go out to eat. I cooked all my food at home, anything to survive, you know, um, uh, so that I could do that. I ended up, my brother and I ended up, I insisted my brother come with me. We ended up becoming assistants to Mark Pasella and learning from Mark and Dan. Um, uh, the first thing I learned to do some inking on was Dan Pinochian allowed me to help assist him on a cover by Joe Casada. It was a yeah. it was Marvel two and yeah it was a Marvel I think it was called two and one, uh, and it was a, I think it was Ghost Rider and the Thing team up, and drawn by Joe Casada and um, Mark Pasella, my brother and I worked on Alpha Flight with him, um, and uh, uh, that was uh, an X Force. We assisted him on X Force, and uh, the Alpha Flight title I remember that we got to work on. Um, was the uh, North Star uh, came out as gay on the cover of that book. And oh. that was the first book we got to draw on. Um, that gave us entrance, by being assistants, gave us entrance into, of course, non-paid assistance. Um, you know, uh, people don't understand to become an assistant usually slows down the artist. The artist knows what they want. Yeah. The assistant... Um, people don't understand that when you become an assistant, you're being trained for free. And the, the person that you're studying under is taking time to ensure that you are learning the basic skills while helping them accomplish their goal. But it, 
typically doesn't, it's not as helpful to, I don't believe it's as helpful to the, the, the creator as it is to the assistant. The assistant is the one getting the better benefit because they have a insight into the, the industry and they have um, an experience on real projects. There's nothing that beats working on a real project. So uh, while I paid for college, I worked for free for um, uh, as an assistant. As an assistant, with uh, you. yes, which yeah. I which I was thankful for, regardless of the fact that I had very little to eat or what have you. And to be honest with you, comic book artists at the time were just starting to become popular, um, like stars. It mm -hmm. was this is before Image. Yeah. So. Um, Getting into the industry works by being good to people, by being thankful, by really busting your 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 bottom and and showing people that that you're improving, and constantly putting yourself out there at the risk of being ridiculed. If you are if you do those things, eventually you will get that you will get what you want and the jobs will come to you only after that but you have to be clear be clear with what you at least initially see anyone who says i want to do this and that and the other thing they may get all of those things because i'm one of those people and i find that when i have the hardest time getting work it's when i'm confused about which direction i wish to go Mm. I would say if you want three directions, choose the direction that is is um, most uh, most capable for you to accomplish at the moment. And on uh, outside of that, work towards the other goal. Contacts are important, but you can know everyone in the industry. And I mean this with all sincerity. Please listen to this part. You can know everyone in the industry. It does not guarantee you a job. There are many pr productions that are going on here in LA and many books that are being created by many people that I have lots of support from and I am not working on those books or productions and I'm not getting hired on them. Just because you're good doesn't mean you get hired. Um, so, it, it, so, so go ahead. No, that, that was a great point that you made there. Just because you're good doesn't mean you get hired. And I think that applies to um, every aspect of life. Because uh, sometimes we, we have this entitlement feeling. And I'm not saying it's wrong, but uh, it, it's one way that we get bond sometimes because, you know, yeah. we... But I'll know. tell you this. Keeping a positive attitude yeah. is, is important. Sometimes when I speak because I'm so direct and honest. Uh, by the way, comic book artists, most of them tend to be quite direct and honest because it's part of the responsibility for us to just keep going, keep going, regardless of the challenges. So we tend to get a sound a little um, uh, too direct for people. But the truth is, it's a wonderful experience going, going after your dreams. It's a wonderful experience even after failing trying to go again and getting the recognition that you truly desire and and being able to share that love and that accomplishment with other people. And then the best result is something like this where other people want to know how you did it and, and, and care about what you went through. So I would say 
keep a positive sensibility. Always keep believing that you can accomplish it. If you don't believe you're good enough, just put in more work. I promise you, if you just do it more, if you say, well, I put in an hour a week, then put in four or five and make those decisions. Believe it or not, it exists. And then you will start getting better and better and better. And as you get better, you feel more accomplished and more confident. And it all leads to this, this success. So in other words, visualize who you wish to be, work towards it. Never believe it just happens. Work towards it and stay appreciative and stay thankful. Even when it's challenging and you don't get exactly the results you want, don't worry. Keep going because you get better and better and better. And eventually you are that person. Awesome. So now that, that makes me want to flip the question. How do you avoid burnout with your creative process? Well, I wish I could say you could avoid burnout. What I would say is identify burnout as part of the process. Then you don't have to fight it. So I think burnout is more, there are two kinds of burnout. There's a psychological burnout, like the emotional experience of, of the, the labor of the work or the rejection. And then there's the physical burnout where your hand starts to hurt or your eyes hurt or your back hurts or your neck hurts, shoulder. But burnout, um, so, so number one, to stay positive, be around positive thinkers. You know, if, you, if, you, if you're around people who believe in you, uh, even if it's one person, yep. um, uh, you know, keep those, those people who support you around you. Show them that, that it's a good idea to support you because you believe in it. So they should believe in you. Um, uh, but to, 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 to beat the burnout, take some time for yourself, always, every day. Even if it means the first five minutes of your day is spent with you not speaking to anyone, just maybe having your coffee or, or, or just reading a, something you like or just looking at the sky or, or talking to a friend or, or anything that really brings you a little joy and makes you just feel like a few minutes of your life belongs to you. Even if you have to run into the bathroom to do it, so to have that privacy. Take just a few minutes for yourself every day and that little bit of time will really help you manage a lot of stress and then uh, account on loved ones be honest if you're having a stressful time and if you feel uh, like you're having a hard day uh, it's okay to let it out uh, oftentimes holding these things in makes it harder for us and it distracts us and it makes it hard for us to continue to produce uh, the next thing um, I would say uh, good posture in terms of physically uh, uh, sustaining yourself, not being burnt out physically. So proper posture, you know, your wrist uh, and your elbow uh, should be positioned properly parallel um, uh, to the floor. Uh, you should, your face and your, your board should be um parallel to each other. You shouldn't be leaning down to look at your, your image. Then there's distortion to your image and you're also causing pain to your spine. Wow. Um, get up every 
every half hour, 15 minutes, half hour, hour, walk around. Doesn't have to be a long time. Mm. It does not. And this does two things. People think that just working on something longer and not stopping is impressive. It does not impress me. What impresses me is knowing how to manage your, yourself throughout the day as a productive individual. And the way to do that is you need two things. You need perspective and you need a break, physical break. So perspective comes when you get up every half hour, do something, get yourself a drink so you could stay hydrated, which is very good for you health-wise and so forth. Um, uh, t- uh, uh, walk around. It doesn't mean just stop tr- drawing or working or writing. It means get up, walk. Sitting is as bad as smoking. Get up and walk. Just a few minutes. doesn't have to be a lot. But you do it throughout the day, every half hour. Uh, I personally, I like it every 15 minutes, but every half hour, every hour, maybe every two hours. But do it. See if you can apply that to your daily routine. Because there's a benefit of getting up and walking around outside of the physical benefit, which is no one would argue about is absolutely good, uh, positive. And that is that you take your eyes and your mind away from what you're working on. And when you return, you see all the mistakes. They become extremely clear to you. So now you are saving time by taking time away. You're saving time when you return. Because now you see all of the mistakes and correct them. You can make those adjustments immediately. Where if you had stayed focused, sort of trapped in your own sort of space on that page, you you um, you would it may you may never see the problem. It's a it's a anthropological kind of experience where you step outside of the the social context of uh, or the context of the situation so that you could better evaluate it. I will use some of that for my own process. I'm just <laughs> it's hard. You have to get used to it. You have to get used to it. It yeah. starts it, at first. You feel like you're you're almost guilty, you know, for mm. for doing it. But you start to find that wow, you become more efficient because you do that, and you stay healthier mentally and physically. Okay. So that's how you. That's the way to fight burnout. But don't ever imagine that it won't happen it will just accept it occasionally and just be glad that you have supportive people around you find at least one person that's supportive that's going to help you through it listen to you talk with you because mm. it can get hard you know this is a uh, writing uh, creating developing illustrating all of these kinds of uh, uh, entertainment related f- fields where you're a visual or written creator means you have to spend a lot of time alone in a room. Yeah. Um, that I can tell you for many of the people that I've known, and no matter how uh, famous or, or unknown, everyone goes through that, that challenge of, of, of that solitude. It can be uh, a benefit at times, but most of the times, um, Uh, long periods of time can be uh, challenging, you know, on a, on an individual. So it's important. Uh, that's why I say even taking those few minutes where you're walking around, uh, call a friend or, 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 or watch a program or read something or do something that uh, 
gets your mind off of the work and allows you to return to the work with vigor and enthusiasm. Thank you for sharing that. Um, man, I could talk to you all day long, but I'll have to start wrapping it up. So let me see. I, I, I have so many questions here, but... Okay. Well, I'll make them, the answer short. <laughs> <laughs> you give me the quick uh, question if you have a lot of questions. All right. This, this, I'll, this, I'll, this is I'll what happens when, I, when I'm chatting with a friend, you know? It, it, I, I, yeah. yeah. But, um, so all right. I'll, I'll, give you, possible, I'll give you three we'll quick questions. I'll go with three quick questions. So okay. Three quick questions. Um, go for it. Do you use music... In your creative process? I do. That okay. is the most quick and definitive answer. All right. So give me three of your favorite musicians that keep you going while working. Three of my favorite musicians that keep me going while working. Well, uh, John Williams. Um, let's see. Well, I'm just going to stick with John Williams for now, but I'll I'll give you a genre. Okay. The 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 type of music I most uh, like to listen to is I like to listen to theme music from movies. Mm. I wasn't expecting and, that. And I love uh, epic music, epic soundtracks. So I'll change the the music I listen to based on the scene and story that I'm part of the story that I'm working on. If wow. I'm working on a somber yeah. Uh, part of a story, I listen to somber music. Oh. If I'm listening to a, a, um, a very exciting, um, uh, if I'm working on a very exciting event mm -hmm. uh, or scene, I'll listen to a very exciting, upbeat, maybe some form of R&B or, or um, uh, um, popular culture music. Okay, uh, otherwise, I I'll go straight to if it's battle scenes. I'm listening to epic, epic songs from <laughs> from you know like uh, Transformers or something. Yeah, you know it's really the music plays a big part. Yes. Wow. Okay. Now we're gonna step out of your work and music. You're a man of many cultures lived in many cities uh, you've lived in cities with many cultures you've also traveled a lot what cuisine best defines you or is your go-to okay so would you mind if i just uh, i'll just uh, tell you in oh, three yeah, different ways yeah yeah go ahead. so so by family the cuisine that defines me is um is a uh, uh, more of a uh, like a um people would refer to it as a mediterranean diet yep is is more of a the standard but um i would say my favorite food that i can never get enough of uh is typically korean food my favorite food um i love 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 korean food and i also love uh french food wow that's like um Two extremes. For different reasons. <laughs> yes. For different reasons. But but if I go to a Korean restaurant, it's the only time with this tiny little man that I am. Uh, <laughs> I, I, just to be be clear, I'm five, about a little over 5'8", and I'm 138 pounds approximately. So I'm a very slender guy. But I can really... I can really eat when I go to the Korean restaurant. Or what I appreciate the most is some of my... Uh, uh, 
uh, dear friends that uh, are uh, that make Korean food for me. Um, and I, I just uh, because of course the best food is home cooked food. Oh yeah. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, I could eat twice as much. <laughs> uh, I, I love uh, I love kimchi very much. Uh, oh yeah. Um, uh, Ojingabukum, which is uh, like a um, octopus, uh, spicy octopus. Mm. Um, I was I was going to ask you if you if if you dealt with the spicy, but now you you, you oh, just give that um, away. My name is synonymous with spicy. Food. <laughs> <laughs> spicy food is synonymous with me. I'm an I'm an extreme guy. I like things really hot or really um, uh, uh, quiet or really loud or really. I'm kind of like a the over the top guy. You know, I'm, I'm going to be really sad or really excited and happy. So that that plays into the drama of the work that I do. You know, my my personality. Right. And you have uh, that's two questions. So yeah. where's your third one? <laughs> All right, so um, let's see. Well, I'll actually make it four, but um, okay, so, you can make as many that fits in. I'll answer as quickly as possible. All right, so hobbies outside of art, food, storytelling. Okay, so so for many years, uh, in terms of hobbies, right now my greatest, my biggest hobby, uh, watching. Uh, the Big Bang Theory. <laughs> no, I would say my biggest hobby is um, going to gardens. Uh, I, I enjoy going to gardens or hillsides. I live in Los Angeles, Southern California. It is absolutely beautiful all year round. So I would say being outdoors, but uh, not doing heavy athletics, but uh, walking through gardens is probably my number one thing. Um, uh, very relaxing, very enjoyable. Uh, I'm usually uh, uh, overwhelmed by the beauty of, of the foliage and of plant life and the mountains, hillsides in, in Southern California. They're just overwhelming. They're so beautiful. And that is, a. Um, I go to the gardens uh, maybe once a week on the warmer weather, maybe even twice a week. There have mm. been times I've been there three times a week. I even go there sometimes to work when it's a when before COVID, I would go there and spend all day sitting on the grass drawing, working on my books. Nice. And, you know, I thought what a what a gifted life to have that opportunity finally in my fifties after growing up in a very different uh, kind of experience. You know, oh, yeah. um, to have uh, no longer you know in that in, the, in this beautiful environment. And I I think when someone has the opportunity to find their way, if you will your way towards something you will you will eventually achieve it so the gardens walking through the garden awesome so um what shall we expect from pkmm in 2022 well uh for one thing uh uh from 2022 you'll see an upgraded website that will allow for more not only more books being sold but more interaction you'll also see um, I was speaking with Matthew about that uh, yes, the other day. Um, uh, you'll also see the uh, re-release and digital release of our books because, you know, our uh, core and law of resistance was uh, originally we were, before releasing through any uh, distributor, we wanted to reach the populace personally, to meet them, 
distribute the books um, at the conventions and shows. That's how we met. Yes. And because we, we wanted that personal connection. So, but COVID hit right after we released in 2019. That's true. And so, and then the, um, a lot of things happened with distribution for comics and, and distribution of everything since then. So we're really just coming back to, to distribution, unfortunately. So, uh, so we're we're looking to um, uh, have those books on the website, and then I'm working on. There were two other books that were produced uh, before COVID, that and during COVID that were completed. Two more full graphic novels based off of the initial stories of Law of Resistance, nice. and I am currently working on the fourth installment. So there will be a second installment, third installment by other artists, not myself. I participated in plot development uh, to, to some small degree with uh, Jim Kruger and Matt, Matthew Pilata, um, on um, We have a holiday special and we have um, um, uh, a book called Son of Resistance, which is a full graphic novel series about six titles, six issues, I apologize. And then my book that I'm working on now and... Uh, uh, so there's there will be about 600 pages worth of of new story. Lovely. And and for core as well. Mm -hmm. And then there were extension stories off of core, um, um, and um, uh, several different titles that my brother had developed along with Jim Kruger and other writers. Uh, his son uh, Guy Dorian Jr., um, who is a writer. Um, and uh, regularly works on those books with my twin brother. Um, and you will see those titles as well. So uh, it's really exciting. Occasionally I do other work for uh, video game companies and others, uh, which I've had the distinct pleasure of working on some really uh, tremendous characters that everyone knows and loves. So, so it's uh, really, uh, you can look forward to those things. And I look forward to it too, because there are a lot of jobs and projects that come about that I don't even know. Someone will call me and present <laughs> something to me and, uh, you know, and, uh, and I'll say, absolutely. You know, um, <laughs> uh, uh, I will be working on something, however big or small I can contribute. I will be working on some things with my dear friend, Kevin Grievous. Um, he's an inspiration to me. Um, many of, Many people might know him from his uh, being the co-creator um, of Underworld, the trilogy. Oh yeah, but he, yeah. Awesome. And Kevin, Kevin is a tremendous writer um, and um, filmmaker, and uh, I'm really excited to do at least something for him. I'm trying so much to to break um, break away, uh, complete all my work, and still able to do something with him because i'm sure it'll be magical awesome yeah i i, re I recall you telling me something about that so yeah uh, I'll, I'll wait until you give me you know you, you when, when you give and uh, make the announcement then yeah i'll i'll, I'll run with it but yes i'm Thank looking forward so to that and i'm really excited as am i and i appreciate your enthusiasm for it it means a lot to me it really yeah. does hey you you yeah I, I, I love your work and it, it's uh I, I love seeing it coming and yeah we, we, it, it's something that i i really enjoy so final question yes the, every guest gets the final question um this is your freestyle moment something you like to leave the audience with 
Um, it could be a quote from a book you've read or a quote from someone that inspired you or you, something from one of your, your works. So it's up to you. Well, in the back of my book, um, I, I, I gave a uh, creator's and editor's note. Um, and there was something I wanted uh, that I discovered, truly discovered. I mean, we all kind of understand it, but, but saying it out loud uh, uh, makes us really think about our place, uh, how we identify our situation in life. And in it, I wrote that I discovered when creating these sort of good guys and bad guys and some of the people in between, you know, like, are they really good and have good intentions, but have bad results or bad intentions? And maybe the results are different. Everyone is both the hero and the victim in their own story. And it's, that was my quote. Um, so we have to understand that, um, open our minds to other people, keep your mind open, uh, choose, Choose uh, understanding, uh, forgiveness, and love before any other response. Take a step back, even from your haters, and um, figure out how you can make your community stronger by being a better version of anyone else. And uh, try to teach that to the, to the younger people. Always choose the better route, as challenging as it may seem. And uh, you will inspire a, a generation of people you may never have even met. Beautiful. Beautiful. Hey, where can people find and follow Ian Dorian? You know, anyone wants to do that? <laughs> so, oh, say that again? Oh, oh, where can they find me? Yes. Um, well, you know, um, um, I'm on Instagram. Uh, I'm on Facebook. I'm not on TikTok, although I might get one. But <laughs> I, <down> my. <laughs> I'm on LinkedIn, but <sighs> I have to say, I really enjoy saying hello to people. I, uh, I often, most of the people I meet would like advice or, or, or but, but I'm, I'm really a fun loving guy. I really like uh, um, appreciating the people that appreciate me. So if you're going to come around to say hello, Find me on Instagram. You'll see my drawings, my posts. That's it's true. really just me reaching out to people. But uh, I am a bit of a reclusive person with regards to my personal life, etc. But as far as my, um, if you want to find me, come to a convention when when the shows open up, because I really love meeting people. As you know, one hundred. That that yep. uh, uh, what a pleasure it is because. I have to tell you, a lot of the people that I meet inspire the characters I create. I never know which person it's going to be, or maybe it's an aspect of their behavior or the way they dress or the way they look inspired me uh, to imagine like new characters or something. But it's, uh, it's the people that I meet that um, I'm, I'm a big fan of other people is my point. And it inspires me, you know? Yeah, I can testify to that. So, yes, go out there. You can look out at the comic conventions. Look for PKMM Entertainment. And you'll have a great time talking to Ian Dorian. He's, he's one of the best yeah, people and to talk to. Thank you. And, uh, and uh, just, uh, again, one more mention. They can always find us at the PKMM Entertainment website. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and uh, they can uh, collect the books. They can order them. Um, 
they can even order some of the the uh, lower published books that we we made that are more exclusive. Those are on the website as well, and um, they can comment if they'd like. And honestly, just reach out. You know, reach out to us. Uh, I'm always happy to do the best I can to respond to people in an appreciative and and uh, kind manner. Um, uh, sometimes I can give elaborate responses. Sometimes they're short. And if they're short, please understand, I'm probably either under a deadline or, or managing something. Uh, but I will always do my best to be as appreciative and thankful to all the people that reach out to me. Hey, Ian, thank you for your time. Really appreciate you doing this for me. And uh, yeah, I, I'll make sure I have the website in the show notes. And please, everyone listening, go to the website. Ian will, yeah, he, he's one of the best people to reach out to. He's, trust me, he, if he's busy, he will still get back to you. Trust me on that. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. 2022 is going to be a great year. Keep the love coming in. You can leave feedback on the website. You can do that either by audio or leave a written message. All works good. All right. Thank you for the privilege of your company. And thank you for the privilege of yours. Thanks for listening to White Label American. If you enjoyed the show, we'll appreciate if you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. If you have any questions, comments, or have someone who will be a good guest on the show, or you want to be on the show, send us a message at whitelabelamerican at gmail.com. And make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at White Label American. Thank you for your support.